Hello, this is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our series on food, agriculture, the environment, and our future. Right here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Also broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. And today on Soundbites, we're listening to the second part of a town hall that I moderated in Salisbury on the Eastern Shore. The impetus for this town hall meeting were proposed poultry operations in Wicomico County that it concluded up to 13 chicken houses, each holding 30,000 chickens. And these were not your typical CAFO operations involving farmers, but more like real industrial operations with no farmers involved at all. The Brill operations were sit on top of what's called the Paleo Channel, which is the public drinking water source for Salisbury residents. When they first proposed this, citizens felt left out of the county council discussions, and many were concerned about the health risks about the health risks posed by these operations. What happened next was unique in the history of the Eastern Shore. Black, Latino, and white communities coming together to convene this town meeting so their voices could be heard and so they could build their own political movement. The theme of this evening's panel was health, looking at the expansion of industrial-scale poultry confined animal feeding operations known as CAFOs, and discussing their effect on community health and safety. We were joined by public health experts who shared their perspectives on how zoning policy could be changed for... to protect public health and address community questions related to the density and intensity of industrial poultry CAFO expansion throughout the Lower Eastern Shore. It was sponsored by Concerned Citizens Against CAFOs, the Wicomico branch of the NAACP, the Circle of Leaders, and other concerned citizens from the Lower Eastern Shore. Our guests were Michelle Merkel, co-director of Food and Water Justice at Food and Water Watch, Frederick Tutman, Patuxent River Keeper and Farming Representative for the Patuxent River Commission, Mariah Pyan, Consultant for the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project, Craig Watts, former contract poultry grower from North Carolina, and Dr. Julian Fry, a director of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health's Center for a Livable Future. Last week on Soundbites, we heard the first part of this panel, where our guests described some of the health and environmental risks associated with industrial poultry production. This week, we hear the rest of that panel. Hear comments from the audience and talk about proposed solutions. Uh, you know, we hear everything we heard in this panel from um, the, all the questions you've raised. The questions, there's a couple of questions. One is a political question we come to later about why this meeting had to take place and what, what preceded this to make this happen today here. But the issue is what, so what do you do? I mean, where do you go with the reality that you are laying down? Obviously, given the debate happening in this community, in communities across the state and across the nation, there are very different perspectives on reality and what the reality is and how to address that reality. And I think that's very real. And it has to do a lot with where people come from and what people have to do for their living and what is at stake for many people. So, so what are we proposing? I mean, when, Jillian, when you talk about um, the 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 issues around um, air quality not being seen, not being tested, not being regulated. So, but, so then what's the alternative? I mean, how do we even begin to know it? One of the arguments has been against, I think, the research that you and others have put out, and everybody can jump in on this, please, as well. Is that most most of the research we've seen is people argue is on hog farms, and has little to do with the poultry industry on the shore or any place else. So where do we begin to really understand the depth of the problem before you can even figure out how you, the next step being having people who actually regulate that? What does it mean to regulate that? Sure. Um, and that, that is true. There, there's a lot of research um, focused on industrial hog production, research that is found if you live near uh, a field where um, that waste is spread, you're more likely to have a um, antibiotic-resistant infection, a MRSA infection. Um, but we don't have that type of research uh, on the eastern shore. Um, the research in, with industrial poultry production is limited. Um, but I want to reiterate a point um, that I went over before, that we do know what is coming out of the houses in general, 
Um, we know that there are pathogens and gases and nutrients and drug residues um, and different things that pose a health risk that are coming out of the houses, off the operations, and off of the fields where waste is spread. Now, in my mind, that, that um, justifies actions to be taken to figure out what what are the what is the burden of disease? So we know that there are risks. We know that there are risks for workers. We know that there are risks for people who live in the area. Um, but I will be the first to admit we don't know exactly what um, the rates of disease are that are related, or the diseases that are being exacerbated. Whether it's asthma and the particulate matter brings on an asthma attack, and then. Um, that adult or child needs to be hospitalized, or folks getting um, a MRSA infection and needing to seek um, medical care. We don't know what that burden is, but that certainly doesn't mean that, that, that there is no burden there. And that's what I'm seeing that's being put forth um, and being presented to the community, and that's very concerning from a public health standpoint. We would never say, um, you know, oh, it, you know, it looks like tobacco doesn't cause cancer because we didn't look at it and we didn't study it, so we're not going to worry about that. And that is what I see um, uh, being put forth. And in terms of a way forward, um, I'm going to leave it to the other panelists to talk about specific policy proposals, um, partly because I work at the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, and it gets a little tricky when you work at an academic center to talk specifically about policy proposals. It doesn't mean that I um, support or, or do not support. Um, you can draw your own conclusions, but I will say there are many resources going towards researching and regulating the environmental impacts of industrial poultry production, resources into trucking manure to another area, resources into supporting staff members who work at extension or soil conservation, um, resources into um, the infrastructure necessary for the poultry industry to operate, resources into academic research to say what is the impact um, of these best, man best management practices on the Chesapeake Bay. Those efforts are, are pretty narrowly focused, but there are already lots of public resources that are going into this area, and we need to open it up and broaden it and ask the questions that some stakeholders really don't want a light shown on and say, um, what are people being exposed to? Let's get some air monitors where people actually live. Um, let's get some water testing that's year-round that takes into account seasonal variations. We really need to use the resources that are already being dedicated to this issue. Um, like I said, we have a lot of evidence about the environmental implications, evidence about what's coming off of these operations. But for some reason, the questions are not being asked and the research studies are not being done um, to answer what are people breathing in their air and what are people drinking in their water who live near these operations or work in the operations. So the question, I, mean, I think the question I want to pursue is, and so how does that happen? I mean, how do you, if the question of air quality is real, I'm not arguing it is or isn't, if it's real, then how do you monitor it? How do we know that? What does that cost? How do you implement that? What do you do to make that happen? Um, I mean, how do you begin to understand that so there can be an argument made that scientifically sound that tells us what's really happening? It is possible to monitor air emissions at these facilities. And we know there are technologies like biofilters that can be put on the barn to reduce or eliminate certain pollution pollutant sources. I feel like we know enough to do something now if a community wants to be proactive in terms of protecting itself from the risk that, that Jillian is talking about. right? And as Maria said, there are townships that have already done this. You know, Cadoras Township is not unique. There are 30-plus communities in Missouri, Iowa, Indiana. Indiana. I mean, you know, there are communities all the country that don't know don't know more any more than we do today that have taken these steps to protect their community. These extra steps. Um, the study you're talking about, Craig. You know, I used to work for EPA years ago, and I was involved in the first case against a big mega hog operation um, in Northwest Missouri. They put 2.5 million hogs in a very small geographic area, and we brought the first ever claims under the Clean Air Act, which is 
the federal environmental law that protects your air, um, other laws under um, Emergency Planning Community Rights to Know Act that require reporting of toxic chemicals like ammonia above certain levels. And, um, you know, I, I walk, and we started investigating other large-scale facilities because based on the monitoring that the EPA was doing at that time, we knew that these very large facilities were exceeding regulatory thresholds that are set by law to protect the health or environment. Um, and I walked into work one day and was told that I had to bring in my case quickly or lose it and drop all the other investigations that I had been working on EPA for political reasons, not, for, not because we weren't finding problems, for political reasons. Um, and the agency dropped all of it, you know, we, I was an, a staff attorney there, I did um, what I was told. Um, before I quit in order to sue EPA. But, um, but the response to those cases was that the industry came in and said, well, we need to learn more, we need to learn more, it's hard for us to determine what our emissions are, we need to develop what are called emissions factors. And so EPA ended up entering into an agreement with over 8,000 operations that gave them full amnesty, it was a safe harbor from Clean Air Act, from EPCRA and CERCLA laws, in order to do monitoring. The study was um, poorly done, highly criticized by EPA's scientific advisory board. Um, very little monitoring was done. The protocol was terrible. Um, this amnesty, still, I mean, this, this process is still going on over a decade, almost two decades later, right? Um, my frustration with the industry is they've been very adept at talking about studying. We need more studies. We need more studies. We need more studies. Why do we need more studies? We know that we have some of the most polluted ground and surface water in the country from agriculture. We know these vented air emissions are blowing out harmful air emissions, you know, air emissions. We know that we have technologies to fix that problem and to reduce those emissions, why wouldn't we do it today, right? There's no reason. It's just um, the foot dragging doesn't, doesn't benefit anyone except for the industry because it delays the cost of doing the right thing, which is upgrading these facilities in order to address some of these emissions. So it's not that, Jillian, correct me, there's no studies, right? Jillian um, wrote a very good letter to the county council outlining the studies that do exist about the pathogens and the risks of those, about the surface and water contamination, what that means for public health, about the air emissions and what that means. So we know enough today to act, and many communities have acted. The question is, do you, th you, know, do you want to take that extra step to protect yourselves or not? So can I? <laughs> address kind of an overarching point. I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out slightly, but I'm pretty sure that nobody up here on this panel today came here to tell this community what to do. That's really up to y'all and your elected officials to work this out. But I will tell you that at least in my work as a riverkeeper, every community that I've ever been involved with that got actively engaged in trying to protect its welfare has better environmental quality than the ones that did nothing. Yep. So if you do nothing, yeah. <laughs> I assure you, you will not be as well off as if you do something. Whatever that something is, and we're here, I think, to give you what information we have to help inform your decision making, but not to dictate or, you know, prescribe. Uh, am I wrong about that? No, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, just to clarify something, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be studies, right? We need more data. There should be source-specific studies, right? Um, but I also do think that there's a, you know, like I said, there are communities that know no more than we do today and that you do in this room and have still acted to protect themselves. and. Um, so it is we don't need more studies to act, in my opinion. So I do want to open this up to the audience and get people to come up here and have some conversation and your thoughts and ideas um, about all this. I think that, I mean, one of the, if it was my understanding just from reading everything I've read, and I've not, I'm not, I don't live here, um, but I've been active in speaking and working in all the communities all over the state. Um, one of the issues that I saw going dialogue back and forth has to do with the health ordinance, which really haven't hit really hard, and what that really means, and 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 what that would entail. I mean, I think that's part of what what we what of the undercurrent uh, when people thought they weren't being heard about this. So, what are we talking about? I can address this a little bit. Um, what we had done in Cadoras Township, and this was actually based off of uh, a health ordinance that was in Missouri that had withstood um, appeal. Um, as I mentioned, there are other states who have done health ordinances. Um, this is not a new concept, and as a matter of fact, we're seeing more and more of it as time goes along because there are recognized um, problems with what's coming out of the fans. Um, like Jillian said, we know there's pathogens coming out of the fans. We know there's ammonia. Um, matter of fact, I had sent the results of the EPA five-year study to the health department here 
and broiler operations were on there and the emissions were on there. Um, some, one of the things that we did was to talk about what the state did not address, where we knew that there were problems and no protections. So, for example, um, one of the requirements that we had put into Cadoras Township addressed two things. Density, in other words, where you have a lot of facilities in a small area, because obviously the pollution is more concentrated there. Um, we have seen this down here. Um, I know by Lisa Inzarella, I believe it is how many houses in a two-mile radius? 95 poultry houses in a two-mile radius. I have done air testing <laughs> over there, um, and I will tell you the parts per million were above um, what they should have been according to human health. Um, couldn't do it long because you can't have the windows down in the car very long. You're attacked by flies tremendously, I will say that. Um, so what we had proposed and passed was there were different classes, uh, class one, class two, and that depended on how many birds were in each house. So if it was a class one, you could not put another class one within a mile of another class one. That addresses density. Why did we do that? Because the permits don't look at density. They look at this one specific site and they say, okay, here's what we have to do. For example, when I had talked to, asked the gentleman from MDE that, that had come into the library about did he take into account the Paleo Channel? And he told me, no, that they don't look at that for their permit. This is what they look at. Well, they also don't look at if there's, you know, 85 houses within a mile and a half by you while they're permitting this one. So, I mean, that's pretty clear and common sense. Um, the other thing that we addressed is UV lighting, because we know that there's pathogens. We know that um, um, there's particulate matter that can be harmful, um, some antibiotic resistant. So the UV lighting kills the pathogens, okay? So this is something that, again, we're not asking them to do something outrageous. Um, this, is, this is something that addresses the known science and public health threats. Um, the other thing was that they would um, have to get a health permit um, I believe once every five years. And that would go, in case there was a problem where the township would have to go in and ex inspect, it would cover the cost. Um, I'm trying to think what else we put. Um, biofilters. That is something very common sense and it works very well. Matter of fact, if you look into a lot of the states where they uh, talk about odors and different things, you will see biofilters there, you will see ammonia scrubbers there, you will see a lot of things there that are just not, um, have, have not come into place within the facilities. But the science is there. Um, so we know these things can work and do work. It's, it's about a community coming together. I will tell you that in Cadoras Township, um, it was a beautiful thing because, like I said, it, it was a lot like this. You know, you had 500 people turn out to the meeting where the state had come out to answer questions. Um, we had wanted to have an open discussion and freedom of questions. The state was invited here tonight, the health. Where, where are they? they? They say they want to have an open discussion. Here's your opportunity, right? Where are they now? Let's talk. We have, you know, some of the world's most renowned researchers right here. Let's talk. Don't ignore it. It's not going to go away. And 500 people in these communities are saying, we're not going away. And they're not people that are trying to cause trouble. And, and the council has the authority to pass a health ordinance. I think I said that the first time that I was at the council meeting. Um, matter of fact, that was, that, there's a sheet of paper here that we have out on the, one of the tables from the University of Maryland Francis Key Carey School of Law that I suggest everybody take that, you know, again, gives the authority. So don't accept things that are not true. What I would suggest is what we saw in Cadoras was the people that were elected said, hey, we know that there is an issue here and we don't want to restrict too much. What we want to do is address the problem and come up with a balance. We were elected to represent you 
And that's what we're going to do. And the night that we passed it, it was raining. There was hundreds of people outside the office. They had to move the meeting and empty out where they um, hold the, the sand and the gravel. Out, uh, I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> they had to empty it out. And people stood for hours out in the rain while they opened the garage door so that they could have the hundreds of people that couldn't fit in the room. And you know what? They stood out there with umbrellas, with families, and it passed. And the whole community is better for it. And those supervisors today will tell anybody. Matter of fact, they're talking to other townships that want to adopt it now. So I encourage the community. This is your community. Shape it. Um, you know, it, it, people are put in there to represent the entire community, not just one interest of a community. So, you know, demand that democracy is being met, push forward, and create a safe place where everybody can coexist to a degree that will be protective of public health and not um, to the point where it's stomping economic interests. And I don't think the health ordinance does that. You're listening to a panel I moderated last month in Salisbury with citizens who are deeply concerned about the expansion of industrial-scale poultry and discussing the impact on community health and safety if these industrial-sized poultry operations were allowed to be built. Now take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear the rest of this panel. Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. And you're listening to Soundbites, our series on food, agriculture, the environment, and our future. Right here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Also broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL, 90.7 FM. And today on Soundbites, we're listening to the second part of a town hall that I moderated in Salisbury. The impetus for this town meeting was a community group that came together to discuss and oppose the proposed poultry operations in Wicomico County that would conclude up to 13 chicken houses, each holding at least 30,000 chickens. These broiler operations would sit atop the Paleo Channel, which is the public drinking water source for Salisbury residents. During the panel, we discussed the health and environmental effects that this facility could have on the entire community. It was sponsored by the Concerned Citizens Against CAFOs, the Wicomico County branch of the NAACP, the Circle of Leaders, and other concerned citizens. Our guests were Michelle Merkel, co-director of Food and Water Watch Justice at Food and Water Watch. Fred Tutman, who is the Patuxent River Keeper and farming representative for the Patuxent River Commission and the only African-American river keeper in the entire country. Maria Payan, consultant for the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Craig Watts, a former contract poultry grower from North Carolina. And Dr. Jillian Fry of the Center for a Livable Future. And just a note, at the end of this conversation, you'll hear John Cannon, who is council president at large for Wicomico County, discussing a letter that the Center for a Livable Future sent out to members of the Wicomico County government that summarized peer-reviewed scientific literature on human health concerns that are associated with industrial-scale chicken productions. You'll hear this letter referred to throughout the panel, and you can read it online at steinershow.org. Let's get right back to our panel. You raised the question to the panel, all of the questions out there, where do we go and what do we do since I want to answer the question for you, if I may. Please do. <laughs> organize, organize, organize. I, I raised that at this juncture because I think it's very important as you leave here, as you have interests here, to know that our strategy on the front row is not just to let you walk out of here and not know where to go and what to do. First thing I want to say is you've got to get involved with the people on the front row. Hello. No, I didn't hear no hands on that one. The, the, the next thing is that if you will look into the flyer that you have from the circle of leaders, and we, we agree to everything that we would say here tonight, there's a meeting notice in here for Thursday, June the 16th, one month from today. We're going to be at the library in the basement to continue this discussion on organization. And it's not about 
where we are in terms of what side of the aisle are you on. Ours is a non-profit organization, and this is a non-profit movement. So I'm going to say to you folks in the audience, you have got to get involved. A few people can't do it for you. You've got to get involved. And I want to acknowledge this man sitting here, our council president. Back in January, we had a discussion of saying we need to come together. We agreed that we need to have the pros on one side, the cons on the other, come to the table together to talk about what you people up here talk about, compromise. He's been put in an awkward position, but I want to commend you. You're still standing strong. <laughs> and, I, and I do want to get one of the neighbors from Northampton to just talk about their political experience there very quickly. We only have about 10, 15 minutes more, so I want to get those things out here. So do you want to respond? And ma'am, you want to come up? And one of you folks from Northampton come up, ma'am? I, I wanted to make a, a quick comment in response and then um, add another point. Um, it, it's a very brief comment, but I just wanted to say that she's reading the research exactly right, and I share your concerns. There is research um, from other parts of the country on industrial food animal production where they have done monitoring at schools. This is hogs. Um, uh, and they have, um, they have detected levels of gases in particulate matter that are concerning for health. Um, so you're exactly right to be concerned about that, um, especially the way the zoning is um, on the Eastern Shore and how many industrial, industrial poultry operations that exist. Um, and I, I don't want to miss the opportunity um, to comment on this Heinz report. Um, the, are people familiar with the Heinz and Associates report that was done for the county? Um, so I was reviewing this report and um, I, I found it to be um, significantly flawed. Um, and I just, I just want to say outright, because I've got you all here, um, the scope on this report is very, very narrow. I was shocked when I was reading it and it said, uh, there are some emerging contaminants, including antibiotics and antibiotic-resistant pathogens and, and some other really concerning contaminants. And the report goes on to say, and I won't be addressing those because, <laughs> because they're called emerging and we don't know everything we need to know about that. There is a ton of research on those contaminants and the public health risks that they pose. Um, so I was, I was very disappointed to see that. Then I read on to see that um, the uh, land application of the poultry waste was also outside of the scope of the report because land application of poultry waste wasn't seen as inherent to poultry production. And I understand that poultry waste is sometimes trucked around, but that's sometimes more concerning for the reason that Michelle was describing because when it's taken to another farm that isn't a CAFO and regulated as a CAFO, we don't always know how that waste is being spread. So. That was outside of the scope of the report. I was very concerned about that. Um, the bulk of the literature that's being uh, uh, cited in here in terms of um, contaminants coming directly from the operation, uh, it said um, th the literature that's being cited is from the 1990s. Um, at my center, Unless something is a seminal report from the 1990s or, or there's a special reason to cite it, we're not putting together literature reviews of things from the 1990s. I think they're useful reports. I think it has useful findings. But this is not an extensive literature review. It's quite flawed. Um, it's quite limited in scope. The only thing I found um, valuable in the report was when they said, um, because of Salisbury, Salisbury aquifer's unconfined or semi-confined condition, the aquifer may be readily influenced by surface conditions or activities, including human activities. I did find that useful, but the rest of it I found very flawed. And the reason why I think it's important for people to understand this, we did an estimate um, on the 10 houses. Uh, I know the original uh, uh, operation was proposed to be 13 and then downsized to 10. I'm not sure where the number stands right now. Um, but based on average production of waste for people and for poultry, the 30,000, approximately 30,000 people in Salisbury 
they generate about 100,000 pounds of waste per day. And 10 houses, a conservative estimate um, in terms of the, uh, the capacity and the birds, would generate about 70,000 pounds of waste per day. So that is quite, that is, that is quite uh, a, a large, massive amount of waste. And we certainly wouldn't build up houses and septic tanks and all sorts of things for an equivalent amount of waste from humans. So I think that people do need to take a more careful look and not, reply, uh, not rely on such a limited report here in terms of making that decision. But that said, I'm also very glad that the conversation has moved into a broader countywide conversation. Um, but of course, we know that this is a very important and urgent issue to deal with. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm glad you got it out. My name is Krista Hughes, and I live in, on Northwest Road in Salisbury, and I just wanted to thank the panel tonight for you guys to come and to give the information that you gave. Um, I thank the council for coming tonight and listen to what the panel has had to say. I think it's been very useful. I think there's been some compromise. I think there's been some great solutions to our problem here in Salisbury, and I hope you gentlemen really consider it before you vote on the regulations coming up. Thank you very much. So. Before we run out of time, um, just for this evening before we talk together here informally, um, I went to the folks from Northampton here uh, just to give their story of what happened where they live politically and how they addressed it in their community. Either one of you? I'm Bob Myers uh, from, I think, about four counties, if I corrected, uh, if I counted correctly, south of here in Virginia, where we really don't need any more <laughs> poultry <laughs> farms. Uh, the two counties uh, are totally different. The North County of Accomack has poultry houses back to back. Uh, Northampton, uh, we have only one grower, breeder, breeding uh, facility near Eastville. The geography of that area is rather unique. In Northampton County, we are designated as a sole source aquifer, totally different than what you have up here with the Paleo Channel. We have down there only the rain that falls on the soil. We have nothing else. We have a, a uh, series of uh, confinements between the surface aquifer and the upper Yorktown, which is divided into three levels below that. It takes centuries for the water from the surface to get down into the upper Yorktown. It's a limited aquifer, and that is the prime aquifer for potable water. The surface aquifer, just like here, has, uh, and because the uh, groundwater level is only uh, about anywhere between 6 and 12 feet below the surface, can be contaminated very easily. And most people do not want to have the drinking water in that aquifer if they can avoid it. So water is a very important source for us. But that being said, I want to address the, the organization and the, and the activist, activism that is necessary. And each one of these gentlemen here on the council were elected by you, every one of you, has a representative in your council. You should know who that representative is. And you need to talk to them. You need to tell them what's important to you and give them some specifics and ask them to go forward in their meetings. One of the problems that we have with our meetings is we all have a chance to speak for three minutes. But it's a one-way conversation. It's not like a town hall meeting here. One of the nice things that happened uh, in the November elections we recognized that we had some supervisors who were uh, working with the, the industry for CAFOs and were not actively promoting that, but were uh, allowing regulations to be written for new zoning that would give them free reign to do pretty much anything they wanted. With regard to ammonia scrubbers, Bill Satterfield, who's a representative for the industry, said if ammonia scrubbers were put into place, it's a non-starter for us. We cannot operate. 
Well, we all know that is a bunch of rubbish. So you have to look at these people carefully, and you have to look at representatives that where you live and elect representatives that will reflect your desires. And then you need to stay in touch with them. You need to stay in touch with your council members in public. But you need to do that on a personal basis also. You need to get to know every one of them. I was delighted that one of your constituents got to know you, but only at the last minute. <laughs> but you need to talk to these people. And that's very important. I think that's the most important thing that can happen. Because we elected now a board of supervisors, like the council up here, I believe, that has turned things around 180 degrees from where they were headed. And uh, it's not much of a point, but there are a lot of things that could be done better. But we are so much further ahead in providing protection for the health and welfare of the citizens. Fortunately, one of the charges from our state government is that our supervisors at the county levels are required to consider the health and welfare of the citizens. That's a statement right up front, and that statement should be, uh, the citizens should remind your elected representative of that at every opportunity in order to justify the ordinances that you need to have that type of protection. Thank you. So we really are almost about out of time, so do you want to have a quick thought? I'm sorry. Um, I just want to address the group tonight, and um, you know I have been sitting in the back and kind of watching all the dynamics and, and listening too. What excites me is you know I'm I'm a member you know I live here on the Eastern Shore. I've lived here for almost 40 years. I raised my son here on the Eastern Shore, and I'm a water advocate but I'm also a water recreationalist, and I have watched the water quality decline in the coastal bays and over here in the Wicomico River. And that's how I became um, a river keeper, except I'm called a coast keeper. In fact, Fred here was my mentor, my inspiration, and, you know, he, yeah, I feel a lot there. But here's the thing. You know, this is how I got involved in 2006. I stepped up to run for county commissioner in Worcester County, and I ran on a platform of being concerned about the water quality to our coastal bays. You know, all my years of sailing my little sunfish and paddling my kayak out there on the water, I was watching things change. And so I felt a need to get involved. I had been a homemaker, uh, you know, part-time worker here and there, but I felt I had to at least make the effort. It was probably the best experience of my entire life, other than being a waterkeeper and getting to meet waterkeepers all over the world. But I went out into the community door to door, talked to people, heard what their concerns were. I learned so much from it. And the biggest thing I learned was, you know, happy, well-managed communities depend on clean water, whether it's their drinking water, whether it's wa healthy, clean water that is going to help grow their food, or whether it's water they're going to recreate in. We need clean water to have healthy communities. But since folks like Gabby and, and you all here in Wicomico County and Joe and Lisa and everyone down in Somerset <laughs> County, in the past couple of years since they have found their voices, and are getting involved and stepping up, I've come to realize, I think it's actually the other way around. Healthy communities is what is going to provide healthy water. So, um, you know, I just want everybody to stay inspired. Who was it? Nicole, who was up here a minute ago, saying she's a community activist. This is, this is the movement that has grown here on the Lower Shore in the last couple of years. And it hasn't come from me. You know, it hasn't come from Maria or Dr. Fry, it has come from Lisa and Joe and Gabby and Steve and all of you out there in the audience. You know, you're engaged, and an engaged community is a healthy community. So just keep it up. Good evening again, and I want to thank all of you for coming out. Um, 
I see my colleague from uh, Dorchester County, President James Pinkett of NAACP. Um, as you can see by the petition, we are involved. The NAACP uh, throughout this country is involved in environmental justice. Uh, one of the things I want to say is that if you can, uh, take a few of these to your, back to your churches, to your organizations, get them and fill them out and see that we, um, that we, we get your copies. The other thing I think folks have mentioned is that you need to show up at county council meetings, city council meetings, uh, planning and zoning and whatever. And on May the 26th, those of you that do not make it to um, the other meeting, we will have at 7 o'clock at Chipman Culture Center legislative wrap-up. Your legislators from the Eastern Shore, from the General Assembly, will be there. So um, I know they're spreading yourself a little thin, but we start at 7, and the other meeting probably finished about 7.30. Come on over. And again, we thank you, and we ask you to, to be involved. And um, I think together we can make a difference. This. We're all in this together, and I think we can make a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Shanti. Thank you very much. We appreciate you coming and monitoring this, uh, moderating this for us. I'd like to thank the uh, panel for being here today and everybody else that's come tonight. Uh, a couple of issues I'd like to share with you as far as the county council's perspective on this. Uh, we've been working very hard uh, since probably, I guess, November in trying to get as much information as we can so that we can make an educated decision. Um, my concern, and I'm, I'm speaking very frankly, I'm not trying to create a bias, but I, I have been very objective with this, and I know the other council members have, and I will tell you, as it is right now, um, the council's finding it very hard to find specific information that we feel directly suggests that there is an, a need for a health impact study. Now, let me tell you why. Don't, don't start booing yet wherever you are. Um, <laughs> We've read a lot. I've read everyone's reports here. Um, I made some notes, and I made a lot of notes. Uh, you know, in a democratic process, you have to make sure that you're fair to everyone involved, and you have to make sure that before you take the necessary steps that it's, it's been evaluated clearly. Uh, the one thing I'm finding out, and please, in your search for education, don't confuse CAFOs with poultry houses. Everything I'm reading, there's so much information that talks about poultry houses and then when you drill down into the information, there's actually swine industry is involved or the cattle industry involved for your own good. Make sure that when you're reading about poultry, it is about poultry. The other thing is do not confuse manure with a poultry house. A lot of the studies that are, are, that are released in poultry house reports emphasize issues that are a concern that are brought about through manure. It's, there are two different subject matters. I want you to make sure you realize that because in what I'm reading, it, it can be very confusing to someone who is, is just, as I am, just trying to learn. I read the uh, John Hopkins report, and I read it thoroughly. I, I went to some of the footnotes, and not to challenge you, but I, I was confused by some things, so it may be a matter of clarification. But on one of the footnotes, on the third footnote, um, uh, the experiment turned out to be uh, about broiler chickens, turned out to literally be two climate-controlled rooms that were in Brazil. It wasn't Wicomico County. It wasn't the state of Maryland. Uh, there was another one that was done. It was a study on, on footnote number five. It was a 1999 publication, which was being um, referenced, and these were Bulgarian scientists in broiler chicken breeding operations and we don't have any broiler breeders on the eastern shore. Um, another footnote that was referenced under poultry, and this is the report that I've been given. I've been given six copies of your report, six copies from different people. That's how many people are reading this. Uh, the footnote number 21, 21 was from a 2007 report. It was a study that actually focused on the swine industry. I also found that uh, on another footnote, number seven, uh, it was a 2008 study done, done by the United Nations through Rome, Italy, and it referenced manure, and it also referenced South Vietnam and Brazil. My concern here is what I was looking for and, and hoping to find were studies in Maryland, on the Eastern Shore, in Delaware, any type of studies. Very anxious to find these. I couldn't find them. I was given a, a, a letter 
uh, yesterday emailed a letter with 54 links to sites that I should read in reference to the poultry industry. The first six that I looked at were all referencing, uh, pretty much were referencing manure and not poultry houses. So before we take uh, measures and before we can prove what, you know, what measures need to be put in place and to put restrictions on any industry, I, no matter what the industry might be, we have to make sure we're 100% correct. The University of Georgia, Georgia is one of the largest producing poultry states in the country, might be the largest. The Uni University of Georgia has studies that shows, and I'm only going by what I read, the studies actually show how much, of, how much particulate is expelled from, from fans and at what degree it impacts the, uh, the environment. The studies say that when you get to about 100 feet, um, you have minimal impact on the environment. And believe me, I've stood at these fans. I've smelled the ammonia. I want to know if there's a problem. I'd really like to know that. But the, the, you know, in looking at studies such as that, um, they, they somewhat discount it. Anyway, even up to 300 feet, uh, there was less than one part per million on 85% of the tests. 500 feet, there were less than one part per million on 90% of the tests. And it said, at no time did ammonia levels meet or exceed established EPA or Occupational Safety and Health Administration threshold values. And when they reviewed particulates, uh, when compared to neighboring monitoring data, particulate levels appeared to be near background levels at distances greater than 100 feet from the exhaust fans. What I'm trying to express to you, I, I don't want to take a position where I'm going to argue with all the panels up here. I, what I'm trying to relay to you right now is I've been trying to study all the issues as much as any of the other council members, and I'm finding a very a, a shortcoming in the data that we need for Wicomico County. The poultry industry has been here for 100 years, 100 years, and I don't have one report on particulate emissions from poultry houses from Wicomico County or the state of Maryland. I can give you anything you want about livestock or cattle, but not poultry. Uh, but let, let's, that's, okay. I'll, I'll stop with that. That's, that's all right. Your meeting will probably go long. Thank you. That's, since we, James' report was called out, I think Jillian has a response. Yeah, I'll wait until he's done, because I'd like him to hear what I have to say. All right, please. Yeah, first of all, um, so my center has been looking at these issues for 20 years. And if there's a, the, the reports that we cite are cited for a very specific reason. So we look for as much uh, evidence that is specifically about poultry as we can. But there is a reason why there isn't research done on the Eastern Shore having to do with, um, with poultry production. And that's because access is very limited, resources are very limited, um, and there are political reasons for that to do research over here. Also, the criticisms that you have of our report, um, it, it really indicates a lack of understanding of the scientific method um, because exposure to ammonia and other things that are coming out of a chicken house, whether you're exposed to it um, abroad or you're exposed to it in Maryland, it has the same health effects. And we would be honored to sit down with you all and, and go through every single reference and explain why it's in there. It's not relevant to ask for specific studies in your own county. That's not how science works. That's why the research, we would love to do that research. We don't have access. But that's how the scientific method works. You go and take a sample, and then you say, these are the limitations of this study, and this is what it applies to, and these are, these are the next studies that should be done. And when we put our reports together, every single citation is there for a specific reason. We're not trying to trick anyone. There's plenty of evidence um, to show that there are concerns. For example, the USGS reports that show the high nitrate levels in the water here. I mean, are you not concerned about people's drinking water? Because people on private wells, their water is not monitored. And there are, clear, there are a series of clear reports that show that the levels are, are elevated. If, if you're asking me that question, I would say certainly I am. But you have to tell me what is causing those high nitrate levels in Wicomico County, a, a study that shows me that. 
Well, the USGS refers to the poultry industry and, and also crop production. It's not just the poultry industry, but of course the waste from poultry houses are being spread on the crops that are grown here. But I mean, I, I, I just don't understand the, I mean, you're going to go through all of the footnotes and have all of those criticisms, but you don't want to call us and sit down on every single letter. We provide our contact information. We say we would be happy to answer any questions that you have. We would be happy to come over and have a meeting with you all. And no one has reached out to our center to take advantage of that. We would be happy to do that. I want to thank our panelists, Fred Tutman, Patuxent Riverkeeper and Farming Representative of the Patuxent River Commission. Michelle Merkel, Co-Director of Food and Water Watch Justice at Food and Water Watch. Maria Payan, Consultant for the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Craig Watts, a former contract poultry grower from North Carolina. And Dr. Julian Fry, a Director of the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health's Center for a Livable Future. I also want to thank sponsors of this event, the Concerned Citizens Against CAFOs, the Wicomico County branch of the NAACP, the Circle of Leaders, and other concerned citizens. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our senior producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunnery. Our engineer is Andrea Melton. Our engineer at Delmarva Public Radio is Christopher Rank. Our interns are Morgan Barber and Calvin Perry. Theme music is by Juan Matthews of Clean Cuts. And send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. To podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.